and welcome to the ministry of First Reformed Church of Aberdeen, South Dakota. Our worship services are at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. Now we join Pastor Hank Bone as he brings us God's Word. We have two scripture readings this morning. I want to start with Ezekiel chapter 34, and then we're going to go to John chapter 10. I believe that Ezekiel 34 lays the foundation for John chapter 10. And while it's going to have a fairly lengthy Bible reading today, I want you to try to pay careful attention with your, your ears. Hear, hear the similarities between these two chapters. Because I think Jesus patterns what he says in John chapter 10 after what God has said to the church in Ezekiel 34. So let us take heed to God's holy, infallible, inspired word. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, And I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep. And the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. And I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, So will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them out to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats, Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture, and to have drunk of the clear waters, 
that you must foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat what I have trampled with your feet, and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns, and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And now turning over to John chapter 10, Jesus following upon his conflict with the Pharisees, the confrontation with the Pharisees over the healing of the blind man, brings these words. And they're targeted at the Pharisees as shepherd leaders. And he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore there was a division among, again among the Jews, Because of these sayings, and many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of one who is blind? Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the imagery of the shepherd tending his flock is a common illustration of how. God seeks to gather and minister to those who make up his church. We take comfort 
in the words of Psalm 100, verse 3. We often open service with it. We, we talk about it, where it says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We find comfort in those words. Or Psalm 23, where the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning, I, I shall not desire anything else to be my, she- be the, the, my shepherd in this life. That's who I want, is the Lord to be my shepherd. God calls his people out of the world. And he gathers them into a covenant community. Being a member of the church through baptism and profession of faith in Jesus as your only Savior in life and in death makes you a member of the covenant community. Now, what are you to understand by that term, covenant community? You know, we are a covenant church. We are a covenant community. What does that mean? It means that God brings you into his family in the kingdom of God through the making of a covenant or a promise to you. It goes to all those whom he calls. He binds himself to you with certain promises of good things. Bind himself to the conditions of the covenant himself. So that in the breaking of the conditions of the covenant, there are curses for that breaking. But in the keeping of the covenant, there are great rewards. And we need to understand God binds himself to that. I remember, and this comes from Reverend Vanderhart, him talking about the great flood and the sign that God would never again destroy the world by a flood. He made a covenant that we would never wipe out the world again by a flood was the sign of the rainbow. And he says the rainbow is as though God is pointing the bow towards heaven itself, the arrow poised to pierce the heart of God should he break his covenant. Interesting thought that God uh, promises and he will not break his covenant. But you do the same thing when you profess your faith and vows in church membership. That binds you to the church as being a, a member of the family, to walk in the light of the Lord, to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called in Christ Jesus, your Lord. God gathers you into his family, primarily through his son Jesus Christ, who came into this world to be your Savior through the merit of his propitiation upon the cross. For those whom the Father had given to him to save by his substitutionary death, he gathers, as a hen gathers its chicks, he gathers through the preaching of the word of God by the hearing of his voice, calling to you to repent and believe in him unto eternal life. The Lord then preserves you in this flock of God through shepherding. Jesus is the the good shepherd. And through him he gathers, feeds, leads, and protects his sheep. And while he is the primary shepherd, he is not the only shepherd in the sense that he employs under shepherds to carry out his work of shepherding. Men are sent by God to shepherd God's flock as instruments of his hands of the the one shepherd, instruments in the hands of that one shepherd. 
Their calling is to give themselves to the shepherding of the sheep as extensions of the Lord under his authority and for the good of his sheep. When we have an ordination and we have an installation of officers, of elders and deacons, listen, listen to the instruction that comes before that. It's insightful of their calling. And it's not just simply words, it's, it's expressions of the heart. So our theme this morning from here in Ezekiel 34 and John chapter 10 is the Lord warns the flock of false shepherds who feed off of the flock. We looked last week a little bit at at the more positive aspect of the the shepherds who go through the door. We'll look at that, tie those together, those ideas together here in John 10. Our three points will look at the, the correct entrance of the shepherd. The the exposing of the false shepherd, and then the exercise of the office of the shepherd. So first, the entrance of the true shepherd. If you look at verse 7, John chapter 10, verse 7, it says, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus identified himself as the door of the sheep. Now, it is easy to think that Jesus is the only shepherd in these passages, that every time you, you read about the shepherd going in and coming out, that, that that's talking about Jesus. But no, pay careful attention. Jesus is the door that the shepherd has to go in and out through. So the shepherds here are really more of a contrast to the false shepherds who enter in some other way. After all, Jesus is rightly understood from verse 11 as the good shepherd, so it's easy to understand why we would think that it's always talking about Jesus as the shepherd. But in these early passages, Jesus has other shepherds in mind. Jesus is contrasting the shepherds who who tend to the flock of God who have obtained their office through Christ as the door from those who have entered into office having not been sent by Christ. These false shepherds come into the church some other way than having been sent by Christ. Now, the surprising element here is both the true shepherds in the church and those who are the false shepherds all hold church office. And for the most part, they have come into their offices through the church. They both seem to have been called to the office. So what is the difference? Well, the distinction between them is not outwardly visible at first, but it is revealed with time through their activities, through how they carry out their duties. In the same way, both the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman both come through Eve as the mother of all that is living. They come in the world as babies. You look at them, you see no difference, right? Until they grow up and Cain rises up and murders his brother Abel. And you see the seed of the woman, you see the seed of the serpent. You see by what they do. In some ways, there's some similarities with regards to church office. One gets ordained into office as an elder and serves faithfully, and the other gets ordained into office and he becomes abusive. Pastors, some serve faithfully, give of their lives for the flock. Others seem to desire the preeminence of the office and are not as concerned with the people. The distinction between the true shepherds, those who come through the right door from those who have climbed in some other way 
becomes known by the kind of shepherds they are. Do they love the Lord? And does that translate into a love for the sheep of the Lord? In the true shepherd, there is a giving of one's life for the life of the sheep. The calling of the shepherd leader by Christ in the church has two parts to it. What does it mean to be called to office? We've lost, in our culture, we've lost really the significance of the concept of the office that we hold. We all hold offices. Uh, being an adult is an office. You know what your title to your office as adult is? Mr. or Mrs. But in our transgender-crazed world, we've got to do away with those titles because we don't dare gender-identify anybody. It's sad because it's, again, just another part of the dilution and the disruption of how God has organized the world and structured the world. We all hold offices as mother, father, child. But in the church, we hold offices as pastor and elder and deacon. And so we understand that that calling into those offices really has two sides, two pieces to it, two elements to it. The first qualification set forth in 1 Timothy 3.1, that's where you go to to look at the qualifications for uh, offices. It says 1 Timothy 3.1, it begins this way, for one to be an overseer, it begins, an overseer must desire the position. If anyone desires the office of an overseer, he desires a good thing. God moves in some people in such a way that they have a love for the position. They have a love for the church that, that opens their heart to say, God, I desire to serve you in any way that you desire for me to serve in the church. Whatever door you open, and I will embrace the call. In the study of the qualifications for office, you may be startled to realize that they are mostly character qualities and not academic achievements. The church is the, the second aspect of this call as the, the doorkeeper who opens the office to the individual through calling and installing the man into office, believing this is confirming God's call to the man. So there's, there's the inward call of the heart where God lays it upon the heart of the, the, the man to, to serve the Lord with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength in whatever way God calls him to serve. And then the second aspect is the church sees in the individual those qualifications and says, says this man's a leader in our church. We, we think he should be an elder or a deacon or, or of some kind because of, of the nature of his life, the quality of his faith, the integrity of his character. Now, the hardest aspect of examining a man for office, and especially we, we think about this in terms of the pastor, is to evaluate whether he has the heart and devotion along with the wisdom necessary to serve the people of God through office. That the church is instrumental in this process is important. Oddly, the, the sheep choose their shepherds in their midst, but that really kind of brings us to the next point, the exposing of the false shepherd. In the, the first part of verse 10, it says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Those are harsh words. I don't think any, any of these men who are serving in some kind of religious office 
actually think this is what they're trying to do. But God sees the reality of the issue. And Jesus places squarely before us the reality of those who enter into office for the wrong reasons. In this sermon, we want to think seriously about the thieves and robbers part of Jesus' instruction. In John chapter 9, where the Pharisees did everything they could to undermine and oppose the ministry of Jesus, I am sure they believed that they were serving God in their office as teachers of the law of God. As you think about John chapter 9 and 10, I want you to to see that in fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. If you study Ezekiel 34 and Jesus' teaching here in John 10, you will see a similar structure. The first part targets false shepherds, and the second half of the chapter focuses on God, the true or good shepherd. Now, what a startling way for Ezekiel 34 to open. As you heard those words this morning, were you kind of shocked? The Son of Man there is not Jesus. The Son of Man there, Ezekiel used that as a title for himself, as the prophet. He says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of Man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? He's essentially saying that the the whole religious institution, that's not to say that there weren't some faithful men who were seeking to be faithful shepherds, but as an institution as a whole, it was bankrupt. It was about serving themselves, perpetuating their power. Over and over in the history of the church, the, the, the large bureaucratic denominational structure becomes political. And it becomes about self-perpetuation of one's power and prestige and honor. They forget who the Lord is. They forget Jesus' instruction. Beloved, those who should understand best of all should be the ministers of the word, right? And yet they seem to fail to understand that Jesus says, you want to be great? You want to be prominent? You want to be powerful? Let me show you how. And he picks up a basin and a towel and begins to wash feet. It's not about prestige. It's about others. That's what shepherding is about. It's about others. The shepherds of Israel would be the Old Testament prophets and priests and equivalent to the pastors and elders of the New Testament church. These men would have been viewed as the officers and leaders of the church. And the point is that throughout the history of the church, it has been plagued by religious leaders who lead people, the people of God astray. It's the Pharisee Saul who's holding the coats and encouraging the people to stone Stephen as he declares Christ. And Paul later would admit that he did so with vigor, believing he was serving God. And yet he was to be viewed as least in the church because he persecuted the people of God. He scattered the sheep. Think about Matthew 7.15, where it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but what? But inward, 
they are ravening wolves. Or Acts 20.29, when, when Paul calls the elders from Ephesus to Miletus for a final parting farewell. And he says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Or Peter in 2 Peter 2.1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And the problem is, not only do they bring swift destruction upon themselves, but in so doing, they bring it upon the church. What was the indictment against these false shepherds? They saw their positions as a means of feeding themselves. The sheep were there for their benefit. In verse 8, the shepherds fed themselves. In Ezekiel 34, verse 8, the shepherds fed themselves. In John 10, Jesus referred to them as hirelings, men who saw their office as for nothing else but a paycheck. I shudder when I hear stories of ministers who seem to be concerned with nothing but how much their paycheck is. We see it today when the pastor approaches the ministry as a job, but it's not a job. It's a calling, a calling that requires personal sacrifice for the good of the people of God, for the Lord's sheep. Ezekiel 34 rightly teaches us that these shepherds were no shepherds in verse 5. And the result of their self-indulgence is that the sheep of God were not being fed not protected to such a degree that they were scattered. Maybe not across the landscape. Maybe they were scattered theologically. Maybe they were scattered philosophically. They were all over the board. They weren't sure what salvation was. They weren't being fed. They weren't being directed. They weren't being protected. They wandered all over because there were no shepherds to watch over them. No shepherd to gather them, it says in verse 6. The calling of the shepherd leader in the church is to be just that. One who gathers in the wandering sheep. There are four elements to being an effective shepherd in the church. The pastor or elder must know, feed, keep, and protect the sheep. That's their calling. To know, feed, keep, and protect the sheep. In John chapter 10, the shepherd goes in and knows his sheep and is known by his sheep, and he leads them out to green pastures. There's the picture. Jesus is the door. The shepherds bring the sheep in, and I, I think that's a picture of the church. It's a place of safety and refuge where they're, they're, the people of God are kept and, and protected. And the doorkeeper is the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the shepherd that Jesus is called comes through the door, comes through Christ. And the voice of the, of the shepherd is known by his sheep, by his congregation, and he leads them and directs them. And they recognize his voice as tied to and being the voice of the door, the voice of Christ. That's why they recognize him. And he brings them in for safety and he leads them out for service, to serve in the world. We see those callings in terms of the shepherd. 
He leads them out to green pastures. That's a place where they will feed and grow. Grow in their service, grow in their assurance, grow in their confidence. If the mark of the false shepherd is failure of duty, what are the duties? That's our third point, the exercising of the office of shepherd. We see that in the last half of verse 10. I have come that they may have life. Who? The sheep. So that the sheep may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The primary duty of the shepherd is the life of the sheep, the life of the church. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord promised a day when he would deliver the sheep from self-serving shepherds. That will be the subject of next week's sermon, who these true shepherds are. But suffice it to say, Ezekiel 34 was pointing forward to when Jesus would come and set in order his church. And I believe Ezekiel 34 anticipates John chapter 10. And so Jesus reaches back and takes what he says in Ezekiel 34, and he brings it back, and he says, Now, here's the time of fulfillment. The good shepherd has come. I am the one shepherd who will gather the sheep. But the one shepherd gathers them, you might say, through a team. Jesus is no longer coming and calling you off the street. He sends others, but they are representatives of the one shepherd. And so when you look at your pastor, your elders, your deacons, you must see them as making up who Christ is as the good shepherd. They bring his message. They bring his word. It is his voice that they go forth with. The primary duty of the shepherd is the life of the sheep, the life of the church. If the theme of this passage in John 10, 7 through 10, 10 is Jesus warning against false shepherds who feed off of the flock, the solution presented is that Jesus will provide shepherds who will come in his authority that the sheep may have life. He will provide good shepherds as an extension of his being the good shepherd. The calling of the shepherds who enter through the door, who who come through Christ, is to bring the sheep in through the door, not some other way. How, How are you brought into the church? How are you brought in through Christ? Through his word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How then shall they hear unless one is sent? Unless there's a preacher? Unless there's the voice of Christ? In verse 9, the point is that the sheep who come in and out through the door, through Jesus, will be saved. If you want salvation, you come in and out through the door, the door of the church. Well, who's the door of the church? Jesus is. Not the address out here with the glass doors. That's, that's not the door per se. That's a, that's a metaphor. That the physical door out there is a metaphor for Christ as the door. When you come through those doors on Sunday morning, you're coming in and through Christ to hear his word that you might have salvation, that you might know that you are growing in that eternal life that has been granted unto you. The imagery that they will go in and out and find pasture may be a reference to the church as a place of refuge. You come in here to get away from the world. Right? I hope. This is not a place for politics. This is not a place for the latest controversies and conflicts and philosophies of the world. This is not a place for the American flag to fly. 
I've been in a few churches where I came in and the Christian church, church flags up here and the American flags over here. And the first thing I do in consistory is I say, when we come into church, we're not coming into a kingdom of the world. That flag needs to go outside. You can have in the fellowship hall. That's fine if you want it. It doesn't belong in here because we're not in the world in here. Think about that. You're not in the world in here. This is your place of refuge. This is the shepherds brought you in. And you're, you're now here to taste of the kingdom of heaven. A taste of heaven itself. This is in your Sabbath rest. A taste of your eternal rest. And you don't want to be bogged down by political purposes or changes in society. This is your time for dwelling upon that which is going to be permanent in your life. That which will never end. That's the life he's talking about here. That's what he means. In the exercise of the office of shepherd, the pastor and elders, or you might say the consistory as a whole, the shepherding unit, acts as a singular shepherding unit for promoting the life of the people of God. Promoting your life. That's what the church exists for. In verse 10, you should conclude that if the false shepherd acts in such a way that brings destruction, then the true shepherd comes to build up and restore. To build up and restore. Build up and restore what? Your spiritual life that's been destroyed by sin. What did Jesus say? He says, I have come that they may have life, that you may have life. And that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus is talking about you when he said that. That they may have life more abundantly. That you may have life more abundantly. You know, one of the challenges that God's word brings to you this morning is to examine what you think abundant life is. Jesus says I should have abundant life. That sounds really good. What do you think it is? Success in school? Getting a big house? Having nice clothes? Is that abundant life? Is that what Jesus is talking about? The shepherd leaders in this church are coming to a clearer understanding of their duty to be engaged in the shepherding of your life as an individual in the church. They're charged to watch over you. When, when the sheep wander from a revolt against the shepherd, they lose the staff that is there to protect them. And so they lose the protection that's there so that they might grow and have life. When they reject the staff of the shepherd, they expose themselves to the wolf. Again, Looking at Hebrews 13, 17, and the part I want you to think about is not maybe the part you may hear, but it's part, the other part that I want you to hear. Hebrews 13, 17, obey those who have the rule over you. That's what we all hear. And be submissive. That's the part we all hear. But this is the part I want you to hear. For they, your elders and deacons and pastors, they watch for your souls. They watch for your souls. That's who they are. That's who I want you to see them as. The men in this church who've given their lives to serve you are serving for your souls. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief. I always love this last expression, for that would be unprofitable for you. If you make your elders and deacons and your pastor unhappy, 
and sad about you, that's, that's not good for you. It's not good for them either. But it's not good for you, the scriptures say. The abundant life that is in view here is eternal life through a growing, vibrant faith, progressing and becoming more Christ-like through Christ, through the Spirit's work of sanctification in you. That's really what the goal should be for you. You you should say, "I, I want this abundant life. Jesus came and he calls me that I might have abundant life, and I want that abundant life. And what is that abundant life? It is that I have a growing, vibrant faith progressing and becoming more Christ-like through the Spirit's work of sanctification. And so I'm going to take every moment I have to put to this process of having abundant life. I have to work, and I have to raise my family, and I have to do the things I have to do, but it's not going to keep me from pursuing that more important aspect in my life. So as we kind of come to a conclusion here, the men who who make up the shepherding team as the instruments of the Lord Jesus, who is your shepherd, become that whole representation of Christ to you. You should see them as that, that direct line of Jesus working in your life as the good shepherd who gives his life for your salvation. That's what you should see the church as. That the church stands here as, as God's gift. You know, we, we love the grace of God, right? What is the grace of God? grace of God is God's unmerited favor. It's all those good things that come to, from God that I don't deserve. But I like good gifts, right? I like good things. Have you ever thought about your elders and deacons as being God's grace to you? They are. You don't deserve your elders and deacons. You don't deserve your pastor. They're gifts to you from God. They're gifts to you from God that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. That's what they are. They're grace. They're expressions of God's grace and love to you. And so you should see them as that direct line of God's love through Jesus Christ to you. Amen? Our almighty God and heavenly Father, your hand of blessing is continuously pouring out that blessing upon us in in such abundance that that too often, Father, we miss it. Uh, We take it for granted. We we don't even recognize it for what it is. But all of these things that you bring into our life to awaken within us that that sense of God, that that desire for abundant life, for eternal life, for the forgiveness of our sins and the restoration of our souls, All of these things are manifestations of your love to us, expressed through the grace of God that comes through your Son, Jesus Christ, and brings eternal life. And so, Father, help us to meditate upon these things, to to pray for those who have the rule over us, to pray to Christ that they may be Christ-like themselves, that they might be, in fact, the very voice of Christ to us, to lead us, to feed us, to keep us, to protect us. For, Father, we are yours, and you are our God. And so, Father, we pray that through our lives, your name may be exalted. For we do pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.